Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You can also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. Welcome, everyone. My name is Josh, one of the pastors here. Uh, honored that you guys would choose to be with us and start off your week here at Quad City. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online from whenever and wherever. Thanks for tuning in. We look forward to the day that we get to uh, meet you at one of our campuses in person. And speaking of campuses, special shout out to those of you out in Prescott Valley uh, joining us at Glassford Hill Middle School. Always uh, grateful uh, you guys are tuning in with us as well. Uh, Before we jump in this morning, I want to remind you of a a big weekend coming up on October 22nd. It's our Excel First Give Weekend. We're going to celebrate all that God has done the past uh, six or so weeks as we studied through and started this initiative called Excel. We're going to share what our commitments were. And so if you haven't had an opportunity to maybe turn in your commitment card uh, just yet, you can still do that. There's still plenty of time. You can do that digitally by going to Excel. Uh, .quadcity.church, go to the commit tab, and we've got the card there. Or after our service, you can stop out at Connection Central. Uh, there's a commitment card there. You can just drop in the offering box. Again, you want to make sure that you're here as we celebrate and look forward to uh, what God is doing. Well, today, again, we're continuing this series that we kicked off last week that someone is missing, talking about and focusing in on the Holy Spirit. And as Jason shared with us last week, There's a study done by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University that that revealed 62% of self-identified born-again Christians do not believe the Holy Spirit is a real being, but merely a symbol of God's power, presence, or purity. Like 62%. Like if the average holds true, That means less than four out of 10 of us believe that the Holy Spirit is real. And I think we hear those stats and we just think they're numbers. But these stats are so much more than just numbers, right? They represent people. And maybe it's some of you who believe this, or should I say, don't believe that the Holy Spirit is real. And it has huge ramifications in our daily lives. Our lack of understanding what we've actually been given, like we said last week, it leaves us trying to bear the weight of living out the Christian faith. We think, or at least live like it's up to us to figure it out, to keep our faith from falling over. And in the end, what 
it does is it makes following Jesus so much harder. It's why so many of us struggle to keep going. It's why our faith feels like so much work. It's why we feel so spiritually tired and empty. And we don't actually understand the incredible gift that the Holy Spirit is. I'm not even sure we know that it's an actually an advantage to have the Holy Spirit versus having Jesus by our side. At least that's what Jesus himself says. Before we dive in this morning, let me pray. God, thank you uh, for your word and your truth. God, illuminate for us, Spirit, your truth, uh, so that we, as your people, can live changed lives. I'm grateful for you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn them on or turn them to John uh, chapter 16. That's where we're going to be to start off our morning. And I just want to help set the context for us as you're turning there. And so Jesus is uh, talking to his disciples. Jesus is about to go to the cross. And so uh, he knows that mission that he's been sent to do is about to come to completion. So like any good teacher, any good leader would do, he's got his disciples together and he wants to talk to them and tell them the last minute really important things. And what we find in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are some incredible truths of Jesus. Like we quote them, we know them, we cling to them. But also if you read those chapters, what you'll find is some really, really difficult things that Jesus says. Like Jesus doesn't hide it from his disciples. Following after him was going to be a very difficult thing. And so we shouldn't be surprised that it's hard to follow Jesus. But somewhere along the way, this idea that following Jesus is all rainbows and sunshines has crept in. And y'all, it's just not that. Like, don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean that it isn't incredible. And it's the most rewarding thing in my life. I think many of us would say that. But it's constantly calling me to fight against my very nature, to reflect and better represent Jesus to the world. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, the old Josh doesn't go away quietly. It's really difficult, right? And then add in the evil and the world that surrounds us and constantly is vying for our attention that we way too often give it. It's no wonder so many of us feel lost and broken and burdened like we're running on E. It is not easy following Jesus, but Jesus says, I am not gonna make you do it by yourself. This is what he says in John chapter 16, verse seven. Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. It is for your good. Jesus says it's for our good. I think he means it. And so I'm sure the disciples, at least if I was in that room, and many of you may be wondering, I, I would be asking, Jesus, how is this good? Like you're the son of God. All that we've seen you do, all that we've experienced in your presence, and you're telling me you're leaving and it's for my good? You know, right now, if you turn on any sports talk radio or you, any kind of social media, there's all kind of arguments about who's the GOAT. Is it MJ or LeBron? Is it Brady 
Or is it Belichick? Is it The Office? Or is it Parks and Rec? Is it Frosted Flakes or Cinnamon Toast Crunch? Maybe that's just my household. That's just the conversation we have a lot. So the question is, who is it? Is it Jesus or is it the Holy Spirit? Who's better? I think most of us would say with a resounding yes that it's Jesus. That if he was just here with me, if I just had Jesus like the disciples did, my faith would be so much more secure. Man, I would never fall away. Which when we look at scripture, the disciples all had Jesus with them and they all walked away. Yet, when they were given the Holy Spirit, they became bold and courageous in faith, death, and stood in synagogues, and none of them fell away. Because look at what Jesus says. Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I want to point out something. He says, you and uh, you and your and you. So Jesus is standing there and he's looking at his disciples and he's individually talking to them, but collectively talking to them. So Jesus, unfortunately, doesn't speak Southern. But if he did, this would be y'all, right? Jesus is saying it's for y'all, not all of us. Like this is for our collective good that Jesus says, I am leaving so that the spirit can come. Which again, I keep coming back to what is good. So I had to look it up. It's benefit or advantage to someone or something. Or said another way, why is it to our advantage that Jesus would leave and the Holy Spirit would come? How is it to our advantage? Before we answer that on an individual level, we have to remember that faith is a communal thing. And there's a communal reason for all of us that it's great that the Holy Spirit has come. You see, most of us uh, know that Jesus was promised. But I think most of us have missed or overlooked the part that the Spirit was to be the proof that the new covenant was ushered in. Really meaning that Jesus' death actually worked. And again, it's not that the Spirit of God hasn't been there since the very beginning. We learned last week. In Genesis 1, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. He's always been there. And it's not that the Spirit of God wasn't active. He's always been active amongst his people since the very beginning. Remember how it starts. God creates our world. And then he creates humanity. And he places humanity in the garden. And God's very presence walks around the garden with his people. And so in the beginning, it's God's people in the place of God enjoying the presence of God. And then we know what happens. Humanity sins against God. And so humanity can no longer be in the presence in the place of God. So God kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden, thus breaking the access to the presence of God. Then as we go throughout the Old Testament, we see glimpses and moments that remind us how it was always supposed to be. God's presence with God's people. We see it in Moses on Mount Sinai, but it was just him. We hear about how the high priest one day a year could go into the Holy of Holies, whether in the temple or the tabernacle. Or we see how the Spirit of God falls on Gideon and Samson 
But what was always intended to be God's people in the place of God, enjoying the presence of God, was shattered. And all the stories and all the moments are just a foreshadow of how God was working to bring this reality back to life. That no longer would God be confined to an Ark of the Covenant that no one had access to. That God was doing a new thing. That God was going to usher in a new reality that all humanity would have access to. And God wrote it down for us. In Joel chapter 2, he says, and afterward, well, after what? You see, after sin had been dealt with. You see, because the reality is, until sin was dealt with, you and I could not be in the presence of God. And so Jesus had to come to do his part, which was to deal with sin and give his life over so that we now could come back into the presence of God. And so afterward... After Jesus does his part, look what God said he's going to do. I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will, pro- uh, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servant, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now, can you all just imagine this? We can't because this is our struggle. We're not the people of Yahweh. Like we hadn't heard all the stories about Moses and, and, and David and Elijah and Samson and getting seeing the very real presence of God. You see, they knew those who heard this and read this, they were just common people. There was no access into the Holy of Holies. They lived their whole lives thinking that they would never get to experience the very presence of God. But now God says that all people, Both sons and daughters will have his spirit poured out of them. So if we go back to John 16, Jesus is looking at his disciples. And he's in that room and he tells them, I've got to go. And if I go, that means the spirit of God can come. I wonder, did anyone connect the dots to Joel 2? Was anyone in that place, in that room going, wait a minute, You know, fast forward 40 days, post the conversation in John 16, Jesus is once again with his disciples. He's having one final conversation. And the book of Acts records what Jesus says. In Acts chapter 1, he says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then he goes on in verse 8, and he says, when it comes, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Like Jesus is like, hey, I am leaving. When you read John, he tells them like four times. They're not getting it. I'm gone. But what is coming? No, no, no. Who is coming is going to empower you to be my witness, to do the job that I'm commanding you to do. And again, I wonder, did anyone in that moment connect the dots? Did anyone begin to go, I'm not only going to witness, I'm going to get to experience the spirit. And so we find the disciples in the upper room gathered together waiting. And we know what happens next in Acts chapter 2. 
When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So it worked. This is what this means. Like Jesus' death worked. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit. After what? After sin is dealt with and people can be back in my presence, I will pour out my spirit. And that's what we see, that the spirit was able to fall just as God had promised, that the new covenant was finally here. The text in Acts continues, and it says that they go out, and they begin to speak. And all those who are in the crowd begin to go, how do I understand these people in my language? They go, man, they're all Galileans. How are they speaking my native tongue? And they're all perplexed. And they ask this question in Acts 13. They say, what does this mean? I love because there's some in the crowd who doubt because that's what we do with the spirit. It's hard to understand. So we try to give it our own framework to fit in. And so they blame and go, well, maybe they were hitting the communion wine a little too hard in the upper room. That's what they say literally. Literally, they're like, I bet they're drunk, <laughs> right? So Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, he stands up. I love in verse 15, he goes, these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock. He's like, it's too early. They're not drinking. Come on, y'all. But again, this is what we do. It's so hard to make sense sometimes of the Holy Spirit. We struggle with it as people, so it's easier just to say this than to look out and see all of these things. And Peter says, nope, it's not that. And finally, Peter, well, it's not Peter, it's the Holy Spirit. He connects the dots. Look what he says. No, this was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see vision. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Peter says, that thing that was promised long ago, that thing that we've all been waiting for, it's happened. It's here. We know the story, and on that day, 3,000 people were added to the church, but it doesn't stop there. What we see in the book of Acts over and over again is the Spirit of God has shown up on the scene, and he is leading the people of God. Really what's remarkable when you read through the book of Acts is none of the disciples are actually doing what they want to do. They're doing what the Spirit of God is calling them to do. God's saying, don't go here, go here. The Spirit is saying, set apart this person for that mission. The Spirit of God is looking and calling that person who doesn't know Jesus to come to know Jesus and is using his disciples to make sure it happens. The Spirit of God is with the people as they stand in those synagogues and the leaders of the synagogue say, I need you to denounce Jesus. And the disciples look and say, we can't because salvation is found in no one else but Jesus. And they boldly proclaim the name of Jesus and it's incredible. But our thing is we think it's just stayed in the first century. We've missed out. You see, this wasn't just supposed to stay with the early church. This was our promise too. Look what Peter says. This is after they go, all right, Peter, we believe. We've, had, we've been pricked in the heart. We cut to the heart, he says. What do we do? Peter goes, repent. 
And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off. You know who that is? That's you and me. That's us. Like we're the receivers of a promise long ago said by Peter through the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about that more next week. But what we have to see is how incredible this is, that we've once again made, been made God's people because of the Son. And now because of the Spirit, we have been restored with the, the blessing of God's presence, not just beside us, but dwelling within us. How we get the Spirit, we'll talk about next week. But today, let's finish with the individual. Why is it to our advantage that Jesus would leave and the Holy Spirit would come. I want to give you six. The first one is putting sin to death. So putting sin to death, Romans chapter 8, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And so Paul makes this connection. This says, now you have been given the Spirit of God to live and dwell inside of you. And what the Spirit is going to do, it's going to help you kill the flesh that wants you not to live like Jesus. And if you follow after the Spirit and walk by the Spirit, it's actually going to allow you to live, he says, live. And we learned in Romans, live is twofold. It's live right now, that God wants you to flourish right now. But he also wants you to live for eternity, and the Spirit enables this to happen. Like following Jesus is really hard. Following the commands of Jesus is really hard. Jesus gave us two, and we're not great at them, right? Imagine if we were left to do it by ourselves. But the sad part is I can't imagine, because there's so many of us who live like that. You live like you haven't been given the spirit to live in you and root out all of the things that your flesh wants to make you not like Jesus. So Jesus says, I am going to leave so that someone can come that will give you access to my presence so that you can live how I've called you to live. Man, do we recognize how much of an advantage that is? Like it's crazy. Second one, Jesus was limited by space. The Holy Spirit is not. In John 14, 17, Jesus says the world cannot accept him. He's talking about the Holy Spirit because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you. And he says, and he will be in you. Like as great as Jesus was, he was limited. Like he could not be everywhere at once. Like his physical body literally wouldn't allow it. But now that he's returned to glory with the Father, the Spirit has invaded all places and all times and all of those who are his disciples. Yes, God was made flesh and dwelt among us, but now God in his presence dwells inside of us. See, again, Jesus knew it was going to be hard. And he was leaving. And he didn't want to leave his followers all by themselves. Jesus actually says it this way in, in the next verse. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. 
I'll come to you. Again, you got to think about it. For this to be true, something else besides Jesus had to come. The Spirit of God had to come because whoever Jesus is not with is an orphan. Like if Jesus is just here at Quad City and Prescott, PV, you're out of luck, sorry, can't help you. Right, like that's what we have to think of. Like he was limited by space, and I love Jesus. He's incredible. But man, Jesus is looking going, I gotta go because something to your advantage is gonna come. And it's gonna make sure that you're never an orphan, that you're never by yourself. Third one, knowledge and understanding. So when you look at the teachings of Jesus, y'all, he is one of the best teachers ever. But then you read the gospels and Jesus tells a parable and the disciples are like, I don't know what he said. A little confused, right? And afterwards, what do they, hey, hey, Jesus, I need you to tell me what you just said. And I'm glad that he does, right? Or there are times in the gospel where Jesus is so frustrated with the disciples because they're just not getting it. And I know what you're thinking, because I think this too sometimes. Oh, if I was there, I would have gotten it. You would not have, right? We would have, we're just as limited in our thinkings. And so Jesus says something incredible about the Holy Spirit. He says about the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He's going to do a couple of things. He's going to teach you all things, and he will remind you of everything that I have said to you. You see, when we read the New Testament, when we read Matthew and Mark, John, Luke, read the writings of Paul and Peter, we are reading the writings of men who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so when they go back into the Old Testament, they grab verses to prove that God always had a plan to rescue humanity. That is not them. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in them, teaching them and reminding them of all the things that Jesus said. When you and I are sitting there in our word and we're reading and we're studying, and I know we've all had it, and the light bulb goes off. That's not you. That's the Holy Spirit in you. Like that's what he's been given to do, to illuminate our minds, to go, oh my goodness, or better yet, how many of us have been in those moments, the valleys of the shadow of death, we don't feel like we can keep going. And that verse pops in your head that brings you comfort that is indescribable. That's not you. That's the Spirit reminding you of what you stored in your heart. That's his role for us, right? So it's so incredible what he does to bring knowledge and understanding. Fourth one, the Spirit prays for us. Paul in the book of Romans chapter 8, he says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. There's a moment when the disciples look at Jesus and go, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he goes, well, this is how you pray. Our Father out in heaven. And we all know the prayer. And it's great. And it's an incredible prayer. But now the Spirit lives in me and lives in you and prays for you. Like, like, he, he doesn't just teach you how to pray. He actually prays on your behalf. That somehow he takes the will of God and he searches my inner beings and he somehow makes them connect and make sense. I don't know how he does it. 
That's why I think Paul just goes, there's wordless groans. Because sometimes we're so lost when we're praying. All the time we're lost when we're praying. We, we just don't know. And the Spirit is inside of us praying for us. Number five, another isn't different. It's the same. In John 14, 16, it says, I now will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. It's interesting that the Greek word here for another means just like the first. It's not another that's different. You see, I think what's happened is we think that the Holy Spirit is different. Yet Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm going to send another advocate, and he's me. He's God. He has the very same nature. Yeah, his roles are different, but he is God. He's not less than. Like so many of us believe that the spirit is less than. That's why when we hear Jesus, it would be for our good. We can't believe that it would actually be for our good. Because we don't actually believe that the advocate is the one that Jesus says we actually need. We actually need. And so another is not different. It's the same. And then lastly, number six, the spirit will be with us forever. Same verse, I'll ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Again, I love Jesus, but his time was short. Jesus had 30 years on this earth, and he knew if he didn't leave, the spirit couldn't come. We've seen that. Like, we have to believe that. No spirit is coming without Jesus fulfilling his mission and being glorified at the right hand of the Father. That had to take place for the new covenant to kick off. And so Jesus is very clear about this. And so Jesus couldn't be with us forever, but the Holy Spirit has been given to us to be with us forever. Like there's no expiration date. Like he's there for the long haul. There should never be a moment when we feel like we're alone. The key is we've got to begin to listen and lean in and trust his voice. Man, the voice of the evil one is loud. The voice of the distractors are loud. We've got to begin to lean in and listen and hear the voice that will always be with us. And this promise, it reminds me that I'm no longer banished from the garden. Once again now, we are God's people. And this side of eternity, this is the place of God, his church. And the presence of God rests with us. God has been remaking this world, and one day all will be made new. But we get to experience this now. So the question is, who is better, Jesus or the Holy Spirit? Yes. Yes. Now, they both have their roles, and Jesus' role is incredible, but it's time for us as God's people to actually understand the advantage that we've been given in the Holy Spirit And to understand that he is the greatest asset for us to actually live out our Christian faith. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful that because of the son and the work that he accomplished, you sent us your spirit.
My prayer is that as your people, we actually understand and then live like we have the greatest advantage ever been given to us. So spirit, move in us, work in us, comfort us, convict us, teach us, show us all, God, that we've been missing out on. Jesus, I'm grateful that you knew what we needed. Even when we push again what's for our good or push against what's for our good, Jesus, you knew. God, may we live like it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.